Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Okay, welcome everyone to, I believe it's the fourth episode now of the Two Sharp Reds. Who would have thought it? Hey, uh, with me, Ollie Gill, and Australia's third favourite son, but now actually second favourite, Silver Fox, and he's just leapfrog um, at Grand Denier there, now only behind uh, Hugh Jackman and Eric Banner, which is great. So Mark Schwarzer, that uh, that must be some pretty good news for you. Yeah, I'm delighted, mate. Thank you very much for that. For once, there's some... some uh some positive news from you. Yeah, it is positive. So well done. Um, you know, obviously next week, week after, we're not quite sure what will happen with uh, with that title. But you know, maybe, maybe first, maybe second place. Uh, listen, you got to set the bar high. Yeah, and that's what I'm going for, man. I'm going for top, top place. And and I'm just, uh, I'm a bit anxious about it, and I'm yep. a bit worried that maybe this, you may be a little bit biased. Yeah. In your selection process, but hang on, let's just wait and see what happens. Yep, couldn't agree more. Now. Here at the Two Sharp Reds, our aim is to enjoy the Burgundy Grape, our favourite drink of all time, of course, which is the red wine. And talking about the Premier League, our other love at the same time, then hopefully at the end of the episode, we will be able to compare a bottle of red to a footballer. And normally I would introduce the wine, um, the wine that uh, I would have provided. Absolutely, Mark, obviously you've not really done that yet. Um, but this week we've got a special guest who's, uh, who's presenting the wine. We do. And... Uh I'm sure, especially Australian fans, will definitely know who we're talking about. Hi guys, it's Milos Degenek um, from the Socceroos, obviously, and Red Star Belgrade. I'm with Mark in, in Serbia. Uh, I really enjoy listening to the Two Sharp Reds podcast with Optus Sport. I'm not personally a wine drinker. I don't tend to drink alcohol at all. Um, but the wine here in Serbia is, is good, and I've obviously given Mark a bottle of wine. It's a 2013 uh, Rodoslov Grand Reserve. Love to hear what you think of it, Oli. Um, by the way, is there any chance that you uh, put your hand in the pocket and buy a bottle of wine anytime soon for, for Mark and the podcast and, and the crew? Because it's obviously not ideal that you always get Mark to, to shout bottles for you. Um, all the best and take care and I wish you guys a lot of success. Thanks, Milos. Mate, thank you very much for this bottle of wine. I'm really excited about it. Um, Ollie, I have to say, I have actually drunk this bottle before whilst I was over there. It was that good. Milos went, you know what? I'll give you that wine. I'll donate that wine for your podcast. Well, now there's a couple of reasons to feel a little bit uncomfortable about this wine because what have you been telling him over there that apparently you've been providing all the bottles of wine? Sorry. What, what, do, you, what do you mean apparently? This is the stitch-up of the highest magnitude. You can't just be going... Just because you leave England and you go all the way to Serbia doesn't mean you can go telling all your Socceroo pals, you know, that, that I'm, you know, I'm a flaker and that I'm just getting you to buy all, all the wine because your Chelsea money's come through. That is very nice. So you've tried this, this wine, Mark, because it's just been poured out now and it's a beautiful 
very dark red colour. You can just look through the wine a little bit as the sun's going through it, but that is a really dark red, a beautiful red. What can you tell? What can you tell me or the listeners about what you know of this this wine? Absolutely zero do I know about it. Sure. Um, other than Serbia, it's what a, what an amazing place it was. Really, really enjoyed my time there. Milos was an amazing host when we were in uh, Serbia. Myself and uh, the camera crew, um, producer, and it was brilliant. We just had a really good time and really surprised at how good mm. their wine is. Did you know much about Serbian wine before that? Zero. So, like, and that's the thing. That whole thing we go back to right at the beginning. We talk about. I like to drink the wines in the, in the countries that I go to, and that was exactly it. We went to Serbia, and it was like, you know what? Give us a Serbian red wine. Let's taste the local produce. And I think we had one uh, one one bottle of wine, which were a bit maybe not as good as we probably had hoped, and that actually was in the airport in a lounge. All the rest we had anywhere else were delightful. Amazing. All right, well, let's get stuck into it. And you've been going a bit soft on your nose recently so Mark so make sure you sniff it your nose nearly touched the wine there (laughs) that far that's only only because my glass is three quarters full Mm. oh wow I'm getting like a three to four second delay before the flavours are hitting my tongue yes it is a bit like that isn't it it's 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 pretty. Um, it's very rich when you first get it in your mouth, and then all the flavors just sort of burst into yeah. life after after a couple of seconds. That'd be a perfect dessert wine. You reckon? Is that sweet? Yeah. No, I don't no, 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 not sweet. As in, for instead of dessert. So after your meal, like I, a really nice kind so, of. So we had this. We had a big, big spread on, and we went to a typical Serbian restaurant, and it was, uh, it was some um, veal cooked in a, in a clay pot and all these coals put over the top of it and they had these potatoes in it as well and it just soaked up all the juices. The veal was unbelievable and we had it all served out and there were there were five of us there and we had this this wine to drink with and it was fantastic. This is this is the oldest wine I've ever had. Yeah. 2013 vintage. Yeah. That's easily there you go. the oldest. And so was there, as we heard from Milos, that uh, he's not a, a huge alcohol drinker at all? Well, he doesn't actually drink at all. Full right. stop. See, that's why if you didn't drink, mate, you'd you know, be half a chance of still playing. Yeah, no. maybe, maybe. maybe. No, no, not you can not, make my five-a-side team. Yeah, I still could play that now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, you, know, you watch most five-a-side players, and uh, I think I'm still better shape than yeah, those well, guys. Yeah, no, well, no, that's 100% true. But is there a reason in particular that uh, he chose the, what, what, how do we say, the, the Rodoslov? Uh, I don't think there's a reason in terms of, the only thing was we were at the restaurant and he asked the waiters um, to, to suggest, yeah. you know, a nice, a nice bottle of wine and also the whole menu. I mean, we, we talked about, he was saying like, where do you want to go and eat? Belgrade yeah. is, is, is uh, full of wonderful restaurants, really nice. And, and really, I mean, if you talk about price comparison, say to the UK to, to Serbia, very, very affordable. And uh, we were like, no, 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 we don't want to go to anything else other than a Serbian restaurant. It has to be a Serbian restaurant yep. because I don't want to come all the way to Belgrade and go and eat Japanese or go and eat something else that I can just go and eat anywhere. Yeah. Well, already three sips in, I can. I feel like I've been to Belgrade. You get that experience, don't you? Yeah, and that's why when we drank it, I said straight away, right, I've got to get a bottle of a red wine. And and the thing was, this is, again, how amazing Milos was. He... He donated this to us, obviously, as you heard earlier in the podcast, um, and uh, he wanted to, to, to reiterate that you need to put your hand in your pocket for yeah. once. Eventually, one day, 
maybe, and supply a bottle of red wine. Um, I tell you what, you're going to struggle. The longer you leave it, the worse yeah. it's going to get for you because this is impressive, this wine. I know that there's plenty going on in the Premier League that we need to discuss, but one story that caught my eye from the weekend that I do want to just briefly run through was um, was a meeting between Crew Alexandra and Accrington Stanley in the FA Cup. It was a very strange moment. And it was a game that uh, normally you wouldn't think to you know you wouldn't think to us about really looking at the fixture. I, th- I believe it was the longest half time ever officially in the FA when uh, halfway through um, the second half and then going into half time uh, the referee had an injury and then the fourth official had to step in and during that time in the half time the fourth official was injured. So I'm just looking at Crew Alexandra's Facebook page now and they said. Update, don't ask us how, but we're going with one assistant referee after two officials were forced off injured. They'll toss, toss a coin to decide which line is uh, which line he runs. It's in the FA rules, so we play. Kickoff is now 5-10. Uh, and then an update an hour after that. They said, anyway, we're back underway after the longest halftime ever. Yeah, so... I mean, Unreal. I've, I've never experienced anything like that myself personally. I mean, I've been in games where a referee or a linesman or someone's been injured and they've had to replace them. And you actually every now and then hear over the tannoy when that does actually occur, they're asking for any qualified linesman's referees. Is, th- is this a real thing? Because I suppose at that level it must be. If you're literally down to, right, we've got no one. Yeah, they, they will call over the tannoy to find out whether or not there are any qualified referees in the crowd. And you, I've seen it before, I've been in games before where someone will come, put the, make themselves known and will come out and either run a line, generally will run and a line. And do they need like a, the equivalent of a license? Like how, they you know, does anyone... Have, they must have a, an ID card or something like, you know, like a driver's license kind of yeah. thing, but to say that they're a referee, but one of those ones you don't leave home without it. Yeah. No. I, I reckon there's going to be <laughs> so many budding referees that will be in the crowd who are fans who will have their ID with them in the hope that someone gets injured. Why not? It's their chance of a lifetime. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine if you were a referee and you didn't bring your ID. Oh. To that game, that one moment, and you go, and they hear it over the, over the tunnel, you get all excited, your mates are going mad, and you run up there, you're the first one, chance of a lifetime, because you're a diehard, you know, Crew Alexandra yeah. fan, and they go, where's your ID? Oh. It reminds me of a story that Harry Redknapp once told about when he was at West Ham, I believe, and it was a pre-season friendly and there was a guy behind him who was just giving him shtick the whole time. He was going, whoever the striker was at the time was having a bad game. And this punter was going, oh, I could do better than that. Oh, I could go, go on, get me on, get me on. And Harry turned around and went, all right, I've got a spare kit for you. And he went on and he scored. Did he really? He scored. Unbelievable. I mean, that is, that now that is, if you're, you know, if you're a West Ham fan, imagine that is legitimately a chance of a lifetime. If, if, would, if that were you, wouldn't you every week position yourself as close as you possibly can to Harry Redknapp and make sure mm. that when the team wasn't performing well, the striker wasn't doing so well, you would be giving a barrage of abuse and saying how much better you could do. Remember last week? Remember the other week when I played it? And he's got no comeback. No. What's, what's he going to do? Yeah, say He can't no. say, well, go on, show me. Well, I did the other week. You want to show you again. Your position in particular, you would have, you know, you for a lot of certain games, you would have just been feeling like a little bit of a lone wolf, like in terms of the, the literal position and positioning of, of a goalkeeper. You would have had heaps of things behind you, you know, like taunts and, you know, chants. And can you, can you actually hear people saying things? I... When I was playing and the game was being played in front of you, no. You, you hear the old, you hear the boos, you hear the, the, the masses. Yep. 
if there's one massive big chant, then yes. But generally, no. The individual stuff, only when the play died down, only when the ball went out for a, for a goal kick and you go and get in the ball and someone came down to the fence and was right in your face and said something that you kind of register the rest. The rest of the time, it was kind of one big, just big blur. Mm. Um, I didn't really take note. Um, and I couldn't even tell you a chant or anything that was going on behind because you're so focused on the game. You're so focused. You're hearing the noise, but you're actually not distinguishing what they're saying. Mm. You, you're just thinking about the game, get the ball right. What am I going to do next? How am I going to play it? We're at what situation in the game we're in? And that's it. And you get on with it. So you've actually dispelled a bit of a myth for me because one little bugbear from my perspective is when um, footballers are, you know, in their, their post-match press conference when they say, you know, oh, you know, the interviewer said, you know, oh, geez, it must have been a, a tough environment for you to play in tonight. And they go, no, not really. I don't really listen to the external noise. And I go, liar, um, as, if you, as if you don't. But You don't. A lot yeah. of the times you don't. And listen, like I said, there are breakdown in plays. Or if you get the ball and everyone starts to whistle or boo, of course you hear that. Yeah. There's no, there's no hiding of that. You do hear that. But the actual individual screaming or, or um, the, the, the various chants that are directly directed at you, you don't tend to hear. The, you hear noise, but you don't actually hear what they're saying. Um, you may hear your name, but then the rest of it is a blur. So I, I, I never really, that never bothered me. Um, the booing and, and jeering. I mean, I had it when I first went back to Middlesbrough. My very first game back, I'd been there for nearly 12 years, came back with Fulham. And it started in the minute I walked out on the pitch. So the minute I walked out to warm up, my name gets read out in the team lineup. Or actually, the minute I walk out, I get a mixture, mostly boos, and then a couple of claps. And you're going, been here for 12 years almost, the most successful period in the club's history, yeah. and they boo me. And I'm thinking, what is that? Um, and there's the game, as, as my name gets read out, the team lineup get read out, I get booed. Then you're, you're, the game's playing, every time I touch the ball, I get booed. And I'm just, uh, you just go, in some instances, you understand it, but I didn't leave in bad terms. No. I just, I quietly walked, you know, in the end, I, my contract ran out, the club didn't want to lengthen it. We decided that was the best thing. I decided then, okay. The best thing is to move on. They wanted to go a different direction. I wanted to go a different direction. They went completely a different direction and got relegated the next season, and we finished in the top European place. So that's how things happen. And, then, and that's the thing. You, you as a player then go, well, hang on. Okay, all right. In the end, I didn't react. I didn't say anything. Moved on. And it's bittersweet almost in those regards because you're thinking – even at, even at home, we played played Middlesbrough at home in the in, a, in the league game. So the reverse fixture. Oh, so the very first time I played them was actually at Fulham. That game at the Riverside was my second game against them that season. It was the first time going back to the Riverside and playing as a, as an as an opponent. And the first game at uh, Craven Cottage, the ball goes out uh, for a goal kick behind my goal where the Middlesbrough fans are. So I go over and get the ball, and as I go to get the ball, a fan right at the front of the um, or a supporter, if you want to call him whatever, whatever you want to call him at the front of the, 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 the fence there, right near the, the, the billboards, picks the ball up and just, like, he pelts the ball at me from five yards. And it smashes off my chest and bounces off. And, I mean, and I just turned and just went, you know, arms out going, what is that? Mm. I mean, he got ejected. So yeah. he didn't even, you know, he didn't even get to watch the rest of the game. But So going into those first early fixtures where you're playing Middlesbrough again, going into that game... Are you thinking, oh, geez, this is going to be a bit weird, but I've still got 
an enormous amount of respect for everyone involved with Middlesbrough. And then when you hear your name being booed, does that does something switch there? And you go, all right, now I'm going to really turn. Obviously, I, as a professional, I, I you knew, turn it on regardless. But... I knew 85% of the players and the staff that were at the club. I mean, it's only it's only it's less than twelve months on. So I knew, and all a lot of people that work at the club, you know, you know so many people, and it's it's one of those ones where we scored. I never celebrated yeah. at Craven Cottage. It's not like I turned around and celebrated. It's not like I celebrated at all. I, I was just completely neutral, and not that I'm not happy about my team winning, of course. Mm. Um, so that's where you just kind of go. It was just. I, don't, I actually don't even know what the real reason was. You, you do get really, you do get really sort of uh, disappointed about it, and you you have that that feeling in your mouth, and it, that almost that not even bittersweet at the end, but it's it's, it's a sour taste. It becomes mm. a sour taste in your mouth. What sort of wine would it be? <laughs> sort of I something a, a goon I bag. A, I had a um, it was a fizzy wine that was terrible. I had one in Italy after the after the game uh, Napoli against Liverpool in the first Champions League game. Uh, which Napoli won 2 0, and, and we went to a pizzeria right next to the hotel. Fantastic food. Pizza Hut, or? Yeah. No, it was brilliant, brilliant pizzeria, fantastic pizza, pasta. And we went, right, I've got to have some Italian wine. I was so excited about having some nice Italian wine. And the guy recommended it and everything else. I think he sold us a dummy. Really? I think he, oh, yeah, I think he, I think he stitched us up. And it was a fizzy, fizzy red wine kind of thing. It was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> now, don't even know what the name was. I wonder if this man in particular can hear the the boos and the the jeering from the crowd, and that's uh, that's my man Unai Emery. Uh, it's been a tough run, and I think every episode you've asked me, uh, Unai uh, Unai Emery and Arsenal better off than when Arsene Wenger was with Arsenal, and I've said yes, and this is the only week that I'm going to agree with you. I think Arsenal are officially worse off with Emery than they were with Wenger. Finally. Hallelujah. It's happened. It's happened. Finally, you've seen the light. Yep. Finally, you've agreed <laughs> yep. that's the case. I'll actually give you a stat, right? Yeah. So Arsenal have won 87 points in 50 Premier League games under Unai Emery. That's 25 wins, 12 draws, and 13 losses. Okay. One fewer than they managed in their final 50 under Arsene Wenger. That is 27 wins, 7 draws, and 16 losses. So they're one point worse off in the first 50 games under Unai Emery mm. than the last 50 under Arsene Wenger. Bearing in mind, pretty much those entire last 50 under Arsene Wenger were, were perceived to be a disaster almost. Mm. But that people were... How long were they going on for about getting Wenger oh. out? It was years. It was years, but they were still performing. And the, the difference is that, that this year in particular and the last year is a different kettle of fish because Arsenal are now in sixths where traditionally towards the end of, of Wenger's reign, they'd still be between third and fourth. Right? Well, let's not forget, the last three years under Arsene, I think it was the last three years, definitely yep. two, I think it was three, they finished outside the Champions League. Yep. So that was like... He went 20 years in a row qualifying for the Champions yeah. League. That in itself, they should build a statue for the guy. Yeah. That is just insane. That is phenomenal yeah. to get a club 20 years in a row in the Champions League. I, I, I'm dumbfounded by it. And often it's the case with anything. Fans, players don't realize what they have until it's gone. Absolutely. And this is another incredible example of 
how much they underappreciated particularly the last latter part, last couple of years of, of Wenger's reign. Not the, not the early stage. I mean, it's early, the early stages are easy. When, when a manager is doing so well and so successful and has a phenomenal side together, it's easy to support. Mm. The time where it's more difficult and challenging and when you see how people really support a team is during the tough times. So you're a man of, of a many metaphors. You love it. And you, you whispered something to me earlier which... I just wanted to, I said, no, no, save it, Mark, save it. You reckon that Unai Emery is now the equivalent of a market stall holder, is that correct? Yes. Tell me you're working out. Show us your, show us your findings. Well, when he first came to the club, there was, it was quite, a, quite a big hoo-ha about him coming and about the fact that he, he almost turned up like he was the manager of Harrods. Sure. So very nicely dressed, elegant. Yes, put into context for our Australian listeners as well. Of course, Harrod's not in Australia. Yeah. So it would be... David Jones, maybe. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah David, David Jones, Jones or a Meyer, maybe. Or a... No, more David Jones. More David yeah, Jones. Yeah, definitely okay. David. I mean, Meyer's like a Grace Brothers taken over by... You know, sure. Meyer took over... Yeah, it's more of a David Jones. Okay. So the, the, the equivalent of the top of the market in terms of you know, uh, shopping centres or shopping establishments. And... Um, He's come in and he's nicely dressed and he's got his hair slicked and phenomenal record in the Europa League UEFA mm-hmm. Cup. No questions about it. What, what an amazing record he's got. And this was, the, the, this was an opportunity. This was the changing of the guard. This was a new era for Arsenal. Yep. Wenger out. So many fans were delighted with it that he's finally gone. And they're bringing they're bringing in the, uh, the 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 potential new hero of Arsenal in your you know Emery, and it started off all right, and people went with it and they were happy with the way he wanted to play and the way he wanted to change the style of play. Then all of a sudden, it's come to a point where no one actually really knows what he wants to do. He's mm. still trying to do the same things mm. as back when he first. So took it's over. like when you enter into a Christmas period and Harrods change their Christmas display, but they go, but that same display happened three, four years ago, mate. Well, yeah. What, what, what are you trying to achieve here at Harrods? And doesn't really know, he, he, he's changed it, but hasn't changed it. So yeah, he's taken it all down and then gone, right, I've come up with a new idea and he's put it back up again. And it's exactly the same as it was yeah. before. And you're starting to think, actually, is he out of ideas? Does he actually have any other ideas? Or is, is, has he seen this one idea and goes, that's what I'm going to go with no matter what, and I'm going to stick with it. And now what he's doing is he's bringing out last year's stock, yeah. Mesut Ozil, yep. to try and save him. Mm. And that's not happening. Because as wonderful a player that Mesut Ozil can be, he's not necessarily going to get you out of a, a tight spot. He's not going to grind something out. He's not going to roll his sleeves up, no. get stuck in, and rally the troops and get you out of a bad situation. I like that he's looking towards the end of last month's catalogue, though, and looking right towards the back end, where there's a few younger items that, or, you know, some unseen items that, that he can try. And, and I've appreciated that, you know, the likes of a, a Saka has been yeah. able to perform, you know. But, he, but he kinda, he, he's kind of given them cameos rather than gone like a Chelsea and Frank Lampard. Sure. There you go. I believe in you, and I'm going to go with you. So he's popped a, a youth bauble on the Christmas tree rather than given the entire Harrods front window to the youth. 
That's right. And he hasn't given it, so he hasn't refreshed it. He hasn't come up with a completely different idea. He hasn't brought out a, a, a new range. He's, he's come back to the old range with the odd, uh, the odd uh, uh, special edition every now and then. But other than that, or handmade product, but other than that, nothing else. Now we get to a point where actually, I've started to realize you're, no, you're, you're actually not, you're not the manager of Harrods or David mm. Jones. It's actually beyond you and you actually probably never were. Mm. You were a market store owner, but you were so good a market store owner that you convinced everyone that you were the manager of Harrods or David Jones. Well, I think that might be harsh. I think he was probably a shopping center owner because if you're, if we're talking so you're saying about, Westfields, maybe. Maybe, because... Maybe. So as you quite rightly said, he's got an amazing record in the Europa League, but as we all know, that's not the Champions League, is it? So that's probably... That's, so he fooled most Arsenal fans into thinking he was Harrods, but he was really a really good just either shopping centre or department store And owner. they did a great job, Arsenal fans, of actually embracing that and being so. You, for one, were one yeah. who were very excited about it. Absolutely. So now, now explain this one. So Arsenal fans were, were, were so disappointed at the fact that they missed out on Champions League positions after 20 years. Let me just re... Sure. Thank you. Let yeah, me yeah, just yeah. say this again. 20 years in a row making mm-hmm. Champions League dropped out to the Europa League. Now you've brought in a manager who's a specialist in winning the Europa League. Mm-hmm. Does it make any sense? Well. Does I, that make any sense to you? I think in theory it does. How? Does it not? You've, got a, you've brought in a guy that has been Champions League for 20-odd yeah, years. Yeah, but this is a tournament that's... But a tournament is a tournament. I think that the, what we're looking at is a manager who knows how to maintain a positive position in a league, but win a tournament. So finish in the Europa League positions? No, win the Europa League, right? So but you can't even do that, because he had a chance to win the Europa yeah, League, didn't and you quite lost get that there. as well. Didn't quite get there. And you missed out on Champions League position. If you'd won the Europa League, so no, you've got a double cherry. You've got, like, you've got, the, you've got the golden apple yeah. opportunity. So you make a Europa League final, which is great. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, for one, I'm a big supporter of the Europa League. I've been in two finals, unfortunately yeah. lost both of them, but I know what it's right, like. Right, so, and you're talking... But hang on, we're talking about Arsenal. You know, okay, we're talking all right, about all right. You next, about you next. A team that, a club that demanding success, demanding winning the Premiership, demanding to finish in the Champions League positions, and you brought in a manager yeah. who's a specialist yeah. in winning the Europa League, the very league that Arsene Wenger, for the last couple of years of his, of his, of his, of his reign, managed at the very least to accomplish. Mm. So are we, I don't think we're in a grants that... Unai's a market stall holder. You don't think so? I, don't, I think that's too much of a, a leap. No, no, I think he's a very good market stall owner. A, a good one. Yeah, a good one. Yeah, 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 because he's been able to convince people that he is running a Harrods. He's more of a, a used car salesman, really, isn't he? You reckon? He's like, no, off that theory, he is. You know, he's he's a bloody good salesman. Market stall owners, mate, are very, very good at selling they are convincing, a aren't they? They're very good at telling you... Telling you Let's just say uh, a counterfeit uh, product and make you believe it's the original, the real deal. Okay, it's that time we've all been after. It is the halftime drinks, of course, proudly brought to you by Milos Degenek, and it's a beautiful 2013 Rodoslov Grand. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And reserve that he's been able to provide to us all the way from Belgrade, Serbia. And it's it's a good time to, to just touch on that wine again, Mark, because this would have to be the winner out of the four episodes, would you say? It's, of course, it's, you know... It's still halfway, and I'm, I'm still... I mean, listen, I've, I've had the advantage that I've already had a bottle or so of this. And this also. is not the also either. Right, I was going to say, <laughs> how long have you decanted this for? <laughs> yeah, no, bottle. it was very, very nice. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's delightful. It really is. I'm often... often I mean, apparently the Romans did actually... Uh, produce wine in Serbia so it's a very very old world area that wine has been produced I'm not quite sure if the actual wine market in Serbia is classed as old world or a new world I would think possibly new world one thing I like in particular uh, about European wines that you touched on there it's got a really rich history naturally because of geographically how Europe's laid out is there's a lot of sharing when it comes to recipes when it comes to to the vines and the grapes themselves and you can quite often if you're smart enough unlike us but if you know your wines really well you can taste different cultures and different countries in one bottle of wine that's what i love about european yeah i think i think the, the 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 experts definitely yeah i'm i'm I just, I just know one that tastes good in my mouth. I'm going with that one. That's a nice one. Now, as we know, towards the end of this episode, we will compare this bottle to, um, to a footballer. Um, a little bit easier, I feel like, uh, than last week for some reason. Struggled last week. Just there were too many things going on yeah. for me to, to decide who to go yeah, for. Yeah, you've got a very, very immature palate. Well, that, and just personality, mental well, capacity. You, well, you said it, not me. I was... Just setting you. you up to say Thank it. you, mate. Thank you. I appreciate it. But have you got any clues, any hints as to what you're feeling? I'm thinking um, because it is that one, like you mentioned at the beginning, it takes a couple of seconds for it to really explode into your mouth. But not explode like all of it. It's not a massive explosion. It's a little explosion and, a, and really nice and lots of different kind of... Uh, um, Little uh, sort of, uh, what would you saw Kind of like celebrations going on in various points of your mouth. Nice. And yeah, it's, it's really nice. And it's hard to, I mean, I say often every week, smooth. It's got that, uh, that nice rounded edge to it. Mark, it's been a massive couple of weeks for the Matildas, hasn't it? Because we saw that uh, Australia are going to be becoming the first um, football governing entity that are paying um, men and women the same amount, which is, which is amazing news. Yeah, it's, it's a huge stride forward, uh, particularly for, for the women's game, uh, women in sport, full stop. It's the only one of its kind uh, around the world, which is obviously uh, an amazing um, an effort, amazing uh, decision that was decided upon by the, the, FA, the FFA and also the players, because the players obviously yep. had a big say in it, both men and women's teams. And uh, I think it's, uh, and it's rightly so, particularly with Australia and the women's game has just gone through the roof. And one would argue that 
the Matildas would probably, outside of obviously World Cups, because the men's World Cup still gets a lot, lot more prize money and there's a lot more association yeah. around that. And that's obviously one of the biggest uh, biggest problems for the women's game at the moment and gripes with a lot of the women's players around the world is that FIFA do not recognise uh, the women's game at the same level as the men's game in terms of monetary returns and, and bonuses for the, for, the, for the players. So for a national organisation to recognise that and to provide the women's game with the same... Um, monetary gains as the men's game is phenomenal. And like I was saying, I think in Australia, it's it's unique. Like it is in the US, mm. the the American Huge. women's team actually generates more income revenue for the federation than the men's team does. And I think in Australia, we're probably at a point where there's very, very, either if it's not already the case, very, very close to being the case. So I have zero qualms and I think it's the right thing and I think it's a great move forward Um for everyone and i think it's phenomenal for the women's game for equality in sport in quality full stop and uh the women thoroughly deserve it it's just it's just amazing in, in particular you know you've you've got a son and a daughter and you know i've got a, a niece and a nephew and and you know it's just amazing to think that that any you know a daughter or a niece or a sister or whoever it might be can now make that decision at a young age to just go no no you know, I, I love this sport. This is no no longer going to be a hobby. You know, I, there's a, a very clear and professional uh, structure and and route to be able to to get to you know what I want to achieve. And they're going to be looking up to some incredible players. You know, the Matildas have some uh, not only fantastic athletes, but they've got some incredibly marketable players that have done some great things in Australia in the US uh, and, and just sort of entering into Europe. Now, one player in particular, um, I think, you know, is the first person you think of when you, when you speak about the Matildas is Sam Kerr, um, you know, what she's been able to do with Perth and over there in the States. And now it looks like she's, she's coming our way. It, it looks like she might be London-bound. I mean, I don't know, you know, how much we can look into this, but certainly all reports suggest that, that all signs point to, to, a, to a London team. Well, I know 100% that Chelsea have been so determined and, and, and um, open for the move to, to bring in Sam Kerr to the club. And then that, that goes back already, I think, about 18 months to two years ago. I caught up with uh, Emma Hayes, the, the manager of uh, the Chelsea women's team, and she, and she said to me back then that she's desperately been trying to bring, bring Sam to, to, to London. And uh, um, it's been ongoing. And I caught up with her about a week ago, two weeks ago, I saw her after one of the games um, in the Champions League, actually, and she. I asked her the question off air and, you know, sort of personally, and I asked her about whether or not that was going to happen, and she was she was quietly confident and crossed her fingers and said, hopefully, it's going to happen. So I, I've got a I've got a feeling that it will happen. I think. Generally, when Chelsea wants a player, whether it's in the men's team or the women's team, they Sam generally Kerr or get Max it. Absolutely, you know. of course it is, um, and and I, I think she'd be a great signing for them. And I and I think she for her own game, I think it will be a massive boost because the one criticism, if you want to call it criticism, I would say about Sam Kerr at times is it's a little bit, particularly over in in the US, she's a little, and also watching her at the World Cup now in the Matildas, at times she was a little bit predictable. Yep. Because she's so quick and she's a great finisher in front of goal 
that you end up and she makes the same runs um, time and time again in the US it happens it works and in the A-League it works all the time there's lacking a little bit of variety to her game and I think coming to European football and particularly playing in the Champions League yeah it's huge it's you're bang on there because it's literally uh, a perfect move for everyone involved I think the WSL need a player like that. You see the likes of, of Arsenal that score a lot of goals and are starting to, to pull away just a little bit too much. Manchester City, very similar. You know, you don't want to create in, in a relatively new league this massive divide between two, three clubs. So bringing in a player of, of Sam Kerr's calibre, for starters, is is huge there. But also, the WSL need to do better in, in the Champions League. Yep. You know, the, the likes of Lyon... In, in France have been just, phenomenal how do you you know how are you supposed to even begin to, to break that team down in a way it's great that she didn't go to Lyon in some yeah. ways I mean it would have been phenomenal had she have gone there because I think you know again she would have developed her game a little bit even more I think by going to, to a club like Lyon but the fact that she's going to looks more likely that she's going to come to Europe that she's going to come to England even more importantly and all Aussie fans will be able to watch her yeah. on Optus Sport because great, isn't it? because of the coverage will be there and uh, I think she'll she'll go on to another level is she top 10 in the world no 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 she's top uh, 3 or 4 in the world you reckon yeah yeah, yeah. She's, she's phenomenal and you know she's potentially our first and only Ballon d'Or winner and um, <clears throat> she, you can tell by the way she plays, the way she moves, and she's uh, in a lot of ways she's very, very similar to a lot of the US girls in the physical side of things, superior to most of her opponents. But the game is starting to level out a little bit. There are more and more players and teams who are coming to the fore. Yep. The game is becoming more and more popular. More federations, more clubs are pu- putting more money into. Uh, the women's game. I mean, Real Madrid just started up a new team. Yeah. Manchester United are, are back in the in the in the top flight. They're investing a lot of money, so they've rec- recognised that the women's game is vitally important for the growth and development of the club. And um, Sam, I think it's the right time, the right move for her. And listen, Chelsea's a phenomenal club. It's yeah. got great facilities. It is, you know, it's one of the top teams in in uh, in Europe, and. It gives her another style of play. It gives her another an opportunity to work with different players, a different type of players. I think in the US, a lot of the games are based on physicality, yep. endurance, strength. Um, yes, of course, you're going to have to have uh, a certain certain amount of skill involved. But I think coming to Europe, there is all that, but there's also the, the skill levels, I think, are also enhanced. And, and she's going to find that aspect a little bit challenging at times but i think she will she will um she will develop and grow from it and benefit hugely from it and that's the key i think in the us at time i think it's been a little bit too easy for her yep and coming here she's not going to find it that much, that easy i don't think I think she's going to be more challenged, and that's going to be only a good thing. Mark, I'm going to raise a glass of this 2013 Rodoslov Grand Reserve to Sam Kerr, but I'm going to put, uh, let the, the floor be yours now, and I want you to do a personalised shout-out to Samantha Kerr to not only get that deal with, we're assuming Chelsea, over the line, but also to have a formal invitation to have Sam Kerr to come onto this podcast and and share a glass of red. So please, the floor is yours to, to shout out to Samantha Kerr. Of course, yes. Listen, Sam, 
massive, massive opportunity. You, I mean, I'm sure you know all about Chelsea um, and what you don't know. Once you do sign for them, because I'm very positive uh, and 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 hopeful that you will sign for them, I think it'll be a, a phenomenal move for you, the right move uh, at this stage in your career, and it will help you develop immensely. And of course, the benefit is that we're just around the corner and it'd be great to catch up and obviously have you on the podcast. And okay, listen, I'm not sure if you actually drink red wine. If you don't, that's not problems. And I assume you're in training, so it's a little bit difficult, but maybe a little bit of a sip every now and then won't do anyone harm. So it's been a a pretty, pretty big seven days since we last did this podcast, Mark. A lot's happened in the world of, of European football and then back into the Premier League. You know, we saw in particular with Manchester City in the Champions League, it was unbelievable. We saw Edison get injured. Bravo comes on, gets himself sent off. I don't know what he was thinking there. And who else but uh, the main man, Kyle Walker, comes on. He puts on the gloves, and he's now the first English goalkeeper to make a save in the Champions League since 2016. It's a great stat, though, isn't it? That is a good stat, yeah. No, no, very good. Listen, I I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was comical. I I was laughing. Yeah. And then it was like, well done, hats off to you. Um, It just looked wrong. Yeah. It did, Kyle Walker standing there with a with a pink, uh, you know, Manchester City goalkeeping shirt, uh, sleeves cut off. Just looked everything about it looked wrong. Yeah, um, but everything was about it was right. Everything about time. it was right in the end, and he kept a clean sheet for the remainder of the game. So, uh, as as he quite rightly said, it was comical. It was great to watch. It was an exciting game, and then of course, as we saw on the weekend with Manchester City, it, you know, it was a huge and and. Um, eventful game that was going to always um, really define what happens in for the rest of the Premier League season as we saw City play Liverpool of course Liverpool ran away with it 3-1 at home at Anfield um, it was a very controversial game in, in some circumstances Mark you were there so you can probably shed some light on, on some certain things because I was watching it on the TV, but didn't have any volume, which makes things surprisingly difficult to just grasp a couple of those little decisions that I wasn't yep. able to, to get my head around. Okay, so the initial the initial uh, moment where or incident where Alexander, uh, sorry Trent Alexander handballed because he did handball yeah. it. I thought it was a handball, and I thought it should have been a penalty. Then watching on the replay, which VAR did check, you see. You see that uh, Bernardo Silva actually handballs it firstly, and he, it comes off his hand and goes straight onto Trent Alexander-Arnold's. Yep. Um, so realistically, in that instant, it would be a free kick to Liverpool. Yep. Because the first handball happened before that, that led to the direct going directly to, you know, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. But because the referee then allowed play, play, play to play on, for various reasons, mostly because of VAR, I don't think the referee actually saw the first handball in no. real time because it happened so quickly. Yep. We didn't see it at the ground. I was actually inside watching on the TV monitors because it was so packed. I mean, it was like, you know, the, the place was sold out. I mean, the international media world were there and there was so much going on. Um, so the benefit was I did actually have all the replays as well and have, have the volume up. Not like you. Oh, sure. Uh, so I think it's the right decision. Okay. So controversially, yes, I believe it's the right decision. VAR played its part, and I think it was the correct one. So then fast forward it, and you go to the goal. Yep. The second goal, Mo yep. Salah. Phenomenal ball into, into, into Mo Salah. I saw it on the replay. I saw it um, on the TV monitors in the media room where the line was drawn. 
and Mo Salah's clearly behind the line in an onside position. So I think it's a goal. I don't think right. there's any debate. If you look at it with a normal eye without the line on the on the monitor, you think again, that all depends on when the frame stopped from yep. when the moment the ball leaves the foot or doesn't leave the foot. And you can slightly forward it and looks like Mo's offside, but where they show the official line, he's onside. Mm, so okay. I again that's what VAR's for. For me, it's black and white. He's onside. Goal. So one man in particular that, that didn't seem too impressed, and I, I wonder why, was uh, Pep Guardiola after the game. It's unbelievable footage, really. It, it's so funny where he's gone up to the manager and con- he's congratulated him for City's loss. He's literally come over, shaking his To hand, the referee, you mean? To the referee. Yeah. And he's gone, well done. Thanks for that. You've, yeah, but you've, he said it in a very, very sarcastic way. We were actually already pitched side by then. Right. So we let you in the corner of the goal where at, uh, at, at the end there, where in front of the cop, yep. uh, or in the corner of the cop, we came out and we stood in the corner of the pitch and I actually clocked him go on the pitch. And he kind of was on a mission. And he went past, every time he went past any player, Liverpool player or Man City player, he, he, he shook hands and everything else, tapped them on the shoulder, whatever, tapped them on the back. Then you could see he was in a direct line. I knew he was going to go for the referee. You could just see that that look in him and the, yep. the walk. And he could see he was angry and he went up to him. And, and I straight away, I didn't hear what he said. And I don't know what he said, but it's obvious to me that he was being very, very sarcastic and telling the referee what a wonderful game he had. He, he's a really sore loser for such a, a great winner. Is that a fair way of looking at things? And Everyone, it's not a, listen, it's a common most theme. Are, most people are great winners. Mm. It's, it's, I'm a bloody good winner. It's it's easy it's easy to celebrate and be in a good mood when you win. Yeah, the challenge is when you lose, and and this is the thing. He's a he's a dreadful loser. Mm. He is like a sport kid. He's throwing all his toys out of the pram because he doesn't think he gets the decision, and he'll look at it with 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 blue eyes. He'll look at it not in a in a, in a non biased perspective, and. Most managers at that level are like that. Jose Mourinho at Chelsea. He was the worst loser in the world. These guys are not used to losing. No. So when they do lose, and particularly they lose to a couple of decisions that are, that are slightly controversial or debatable, they are as if the world's against them. And what they do really well is they deflect. Yep. They deflect from the real reasons. So the on-field reasons. Maybe their own personal decisions tactical decisions, personnel decisions that maybe they got wrong. I think Guardiola got the tactical or personnel decisions wrong. Yep. I think he should have played Otamendi. I think he should have played Fernandinho in midfield. You've got one of the best holding midfielders in the world in Fernandinho and he plays him as a centre half. You know, Otamendi, and you could say anything you want about Otamendi in terms of, yes, against Norwich, he was dreadful. But he's not a, he's not a terrible defender. No. He, he, he at times is a liability, but tell me a defender who's not at times. Tell me a player that doesn't have bad days and bad games. You know, uh, not so long ago, Guardiola was raving about how good a player he is, how important he is. Mm. And now all of a sudden he can't get past Fernandinho who's holding midfield players as a centre-half. So now we're looking at things. Liverpool are now eight points clear of Leicester, so now nine points clear of Manchester City. You know, just let me interrupt there. That's what was really interesting is that the general world's perception and media's world and everyone else was all about what is the distance between Liverpool and Manchester City? Yeah. No. Then all of a sudden, actually, oh, well, actually, we're only eight points ahead of Leicester. Yeah. So, so I mean, Leicester uh, have to be, I mean, mathematically, they're technically more in the title race than City are. I mean, I know that 
you, know, you look at the squads, it's completely Well, the way they're story, playing. The way they're right playing, now, they're actually playing better than, than Manchester City. Yeah. Something is not right at Manchester City because it's the first time since Pep's been there that they have so many players who are not in form and also a lot of injuries, which a lot of injuries can happen. But in the centre-half area, they seem to have have had their, 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 you know, they've been up against it. They've had some really bad luck. They've had a lot of injuries, but they've got a lot of players who are out of form mm. and that's not happened in the past. That hasn't happened beforehand. Maybe when he's first season, but he was making so many changes that he kind of forced the drop in form on players because he changed the way they played mm. quite dramatically and was forcing a certain type of ethos and style of play on players and was making them play. And at times they, they took his information, his direction, too literally mm. and got themselves into so much trouble. Speaking of a real challenge, Mark, it's that dreaded time where we're coming towards the end of the podcast and we have to decide which wine this reminds us of when it comes to a footballer. Um, traditionally, Mark, you go first. Are, are you ready to, to try and you know come up with someone or, or where are you at with it all? Because I found it slightly easier this week. Well, then why don't, why don't you go first? Would you like me to go yeah, first? Yeah, go first. Okay. Ladies first. As we know, with, with the Rodoslav Grand Reserve, it's a 2013 vintage, so it's slightly older than what, not what we, you know, where we are now. When this player hit the scene, it took a little bit of convincing. There was no doubt about, its, about their talents or what they could be capable of, but the immediate hit wasn't so fast. So when this wine hits my lips... There's a slower, there's a, there's a wait, there's a two to three second moment of, is it, is it? And then it does. And so I'm equating that to a player that has been able to travel yep. in different areas. And then in particular, as I finished the, that particular swig of wine, it actually, it actually gets better. Where sometimes once you've had it, you go, oh, it's done now. But no. No, no, no. There's more exciting things to come. So with that, I'm going for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Wow. That's... That actually... I mean, I was actually... When you were describing how it felt to you, all the different types of uh, descriptions, analogies, I was actually concerned that you may come up with the same player that I was thinking. Really? Yes. So you agree with all the... All the little bits? Yeah, there's the... a lot about that. Yeah, you're right. And it's... Uh, we mentioned it right at the beginning was that it... The minute you taste it, how do we explain it? It's like, you know, you're tasting this this flavorsome kind of thing in your mouth and then after a couple of seconds, it comes to life and it's full-bodied and it's got so much going on. It is, it's a wash Mm. with character, with with, uh, class. There's so much about it that I go, wow, this is really nice. So it has taken some time. And you're right, it continues and it, it, it just gets better. And there's no, there's no waning off. There's no waning off period. There's no period of time where you go, well, I need another sip because I get rid of that last bit of taste I've got in my mouth. Actually, because I want to taste that taste again. No, it's still there. Mm. And it's, it's almost like drinking, I don't know, grapefruit juice or, or Ribena. Yeah. It's like it's there. It's the same. It's constant. It's, it's, you either love it or you hate it, but this, I think you'll love it anyway. I, don't, I think as a red wine drinker, you, you will love this wine. There's everything about this wine that's really, really nice, and you wish that you had it in your own catalogue, in your own cellar. Every team wishes they had this player. What the challenge was that uh, at the beginning, 
I don't think they realized how good a player he was. Mm. He had ability. He had that talent. You could see it. But he himself was impatient. So as long as you weren't impatient with this wine, and I'm, and I'm talking two seconds, three mm-hmm. seconds, it burst into life. In terms of football, this took a couple of months, and they were a little bit impatient with him. And then he lost his patience and wanted out. And then the minute he went to his new club in Germany, he exploded into life. And he went from strength to strength and came back to the Premier League. And now is one of the, regarded as one of the best midfield players in the world. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are we Kevin De Bruyne? We are. Oh, Kevin I De Bruyne. Like it a lot. So that's the best way to describe it. This is a, this is a phenomenal wine. Yeah. I, I love it. I actually love this bottle of wine. Mark, I absolutely love it. It's been a, an enjoyable episode once more of the Two Sharp Reds. I've taken on your advice and Milosh's advice. Um, I will be providing a, a bottle of red for the next episode. And I can tell you it's going to be a very special one indeed because it's, becoming, it's coming to me express post, okay. the post that hurts the most, all the way from the Adelaide Hills in Barossa Valley, Hay Diddle Wines, from none other than Mr. Brad Ebert and Tom Jonas from the Port Adelaide Football Club. They are shipping a wine straight from Adelaide to London, and we're going to have it on the next episode. You know the great thing about that is you will probably have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, well, The import taxes. It's brilliant. So actually, you think you're getting a bottle of red wine for free. No. It'll turn up, and you'll be duty pay. <laughs> you need to pay some duty on it. And by the way, you're under some severe pressure to get this in time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> You've made an announcement. You haven't even got it yet. And for all you know, they haven't even shipped it yet. Yeah. For all I know, it's not even Brad Ebert messaging no, me. No, no. Yeah, it's Bradley e- Ebot <laughs> from you know from Salisbury, Adelaide, not not from the Barossa. <laughs> yeah. But hey, that's going to be a, a good one indeed. And in case, for whatever reason, uh, that wine doesn't make it, to London by the time of the next episode. If you're listening to this and you've got a bottle of wine that you would like us to try, indeed on uh, on Twitter we saw some really, um, you know, a few bottles of wine being sort of floated into suggestion, a few French wines, a few Pinots, which was nice. So it's it's nice to see, Mark, that the, the people are getting involved and the passion for wine is certainly out so there. So if you do come unstuck and your wine doesn't show up yep. and maybe there's that duty owed on it and it's maybe a little bit too expensive for you and you don't feel like paying it and dipping in your own pocket for a change yep. uh, you may have to go in through your you know the messages on Twitter and, and have a look through and siphon out and pick one I love it I love it so wherever that uh, your social media you know talents lie please get in touch with us at Mark Schwarzer at Ollie Gill uh, let us know what you'd like us to taste because we're we're open to anything and everything at this at this point because it's a it's an enjoyable journey and we've got some special guests of course hopefully coming up Mark but the bar is really high the bar is really high well that's true Milos uh, Degenex delivery well, of this thing. wine yeah. is sensational it certainly is well thank you Mark thank you Milos thank you everyone for listening please again we look forward to hearing your wine suggestions until next time Mark should we have another glass of the Rodoslov I think we have to because the bottle is open and it's too good a bottle of wine not to finish cheers cheers even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks Italian leather jackets and so much more And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.